Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. So much sex advice can be boiled down to just one thing, communication, communication, communication. But how should you communicate about sex exactly? And what are the things you need to be communicating about? That's where things get a little bit tricky. So we're going to break it down for you in this show. Specifically, we're going to discuss the five conversations that partners in every relationship should have about sex. We'll explore how to get started, tips for navigating each of these conversations, as well as what to do when a conversation about sex goes totally off the rails so that you can get back on track. For today's episode, I am joined by Vanessa Marin, a licensed psychotherapist specializing in sex therapy. I am also joined by Xander Marin, a regular dude who left his cushy career in tech once he realized it was more fun to talk about sex with his wife all day. They co-host the Pillow Talks podcast and have co-authored the new book, Sex Talks, Five Conversations That Will Transform Your Love Life. This is going to be an amazing and very practical conversation. Stick around and we're going to jump in right after the break. Get fit and stay firm with FirmTech. Their performance ring is designed to boost your sexual stamina and give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also enhancing pleasure for both the wearer and their partner. Their tech ring has the added benefit of tracking your erectile health when synced with FirmTech's free mobile app, which monitors changes in erection duration, hardness, and more. Take control of your sexual health while increasing sexual performance and satisfaction at the same time. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. Become a certified sex educator, counselor, or therapist with the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. MSTI offers 20 certification options in areas including medical sexology, kink, neurodiversity, and LGBTQIA affirmative therapy. They also offer a PhD program in clinical sexology that can be completed in two years and meets all ASEC certification requirements. All programs can be completed 100% online and are flexible and customizable to fit your schedule. You can take live courses the third weekend of each month and choose from over 300 archive workshops taught by renowned experts in the field. For more information, visit modernsextherapyinstitutes.com. That's modernsextherapyinstitutes.com. Hi, Vanessa and Xander, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hi, thanks for having us. We're very excited to be here. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you both for joining me. I'm excited to speak with you about your work. But as a starting point, let me ask how you got to where you are. So Vanessa, you're a sex therapist, and Xander, you're a self-described regular dude husband, and together you've made this successful career of talking about sex together. So how did that come about in the first place? So our book is called Sex Talks, and the reason I am a sex therapist is because of my first sex talk, which was the talk with my parents. I had no idea that sex therapy existed as a career at the time, but I remember that moment so clearly, the awkwardness, the embarrassment. I could feel my parents' shame, and basically their version of the talk was telling me, 
you can ask us any questions if you have any. But I knew that they didn't actually want me to ask them any questions. And I had a lot of questions that I did want to ask. So that moment really stuck with me. And I kept coming back to it over and over again, and then eventually decided to make a career out of helping people get more comfortable talking about sex and having great sex. And then, you know, on the other hand, I had no idea that I would ever be doing what I'm doing now. (laughs) I used to work in the consulting world and then in tech. And, you know, I was just really proud of my wife who, you know, uh, became a psychotherapist, started seeing clients, started building an online business. And, you know, we would talk about the subject matter of her work, like from a more academic perspective. But I was always really scared to to really dive into the work myself, you know, and really examine our own sex life. And it wasn't until we started having some issues and needing some external help with that, that I started to get more curious about what is really going on between us. And I started to get more open to being vulnerable and talking about my stuff. And fast forward a bit, I started doing some work with Vanessa as the business was growing and I was doing more of the operational backend stuff. And slowly but surely, she started encouraging me to uh, get in front of the camera a little bit, do some social media with her jump on a couple coaching calls with her. And I was like, no one wants to hear from me. I have no training. I have no experience. Like, I'm just a regular guy. Like, you've you've been <laughs> to school for all these years. You've done all this studying. But she kept chipping away at me. And eventually, I just started sharing, you know, like, hey, here's what it's like for me as the untrained guy. Like, here's what it's like just, you know, as a partner in a relationship and started getting really good feedback from people of like, hey, it's it's nice to hear from someone who's not a professional. It's nice to hear how someone actually does this stuff in real life in their relationship. And that's kind of how it all started. And it's nice to hear a couple talking about their own challenges and the ways that sex can be complicated and wonderful and exciting in their relationship too. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that story. And I think it's important for people to recognize that even sex educators, sex therapists, sex researchers, we encounter sex problems sometimes. You know, there are a lot of people who think that just because you study or talk about sex for a living, that your sex life must be perfect. You know, they make a lot of assumptions, but you know, we can and do experience problems sometimes as well. And I appreciate that you're open about that because I think it helps normalize it to a lot of people. And I totally get the appeal of you as a duo, you know, because a lot of clinicians and therapists have this certain kind of therapy speak that, you know, may not always resonate with people. And so getting that regular average person perspective, you know, is also just a different take on it that can provide more valuable insight. So thanks for sharing a bit about your story. Now, I want to talk a bit about your book, Sex Talks. But before we dive into that, let me first ask the question of who you wrote this book for. So who's your target audience? We wrote this book for anybody who has ever watched a sex scene on TV or in the movies and wondered, why does my sex life not look like that? (laughs) Why am I not feeling more passion and excitement and spontaneity? Why instead do I feel this awkwardness, this embarrassment, this discomfort? So I've seen a lot of sex scenes. (laughs) Yes, Mm -hmm. I can totally relate. (laughs) It usually doesn't look like what happens on TV. doesn't look like what happens in porn either. So I think that anyone can relate to this, that they've seen things in the media that just don't reflect what they want from sex, how they approach sex, or what sex actually looks like for them. So I appreciate taking that broad lens. Now, in your book, you explore five essential conversations that people in any relationship 
should have with their partner. So let's go through them one by one. You call the first conversation acknowledgement, which is about acknowledging that sex is a thing that you do together and that it's okay to talk about it. Now, that sounds very simple and straightforward, but it's a step far too many people have never taken in their relationship. They're having sex, but they're not talking about it. So what does the acknowledgement conversation look like, and how do you go about this? When we were writing this book, we knew that the average person was going to feel very embarrassed and awkward even considering buying this in the first place. So we wanted to design it to be as easy and approachable as possible. So I think one of the big mistakes that people make when it comes to sex is we don't talk about it. And we only talk about it when things have really become problematic. There's something that we're struggling with, we're not enjoying, we're feeling disconnected, and we only initiate a conversation when there's a problem, which typically turns the conversation into a fight, which only makes sex feel like an even scarier and more overwhelming topic to talk about. So we didn't want people going into this going in guns blazing with, here are all the things that I hate that you do in the bedroom and the stuff that you never do anymore. We wanted it to feel like a fun and playful conversation. So we start with this idea of acknowledgement, simply getting comfortable talking about sex, talking about it as openly as you can talk about, like, what do we want to do this weekend? <laughs> you know, what are our plans? Not just inside the bedroom. We wanted these couples to be able to create a positive foundation for communication and realize that not only is talking about sex important for solving whatever eventual challenges might come up for you, but that the conversation in and of itself can be very playful, fun, and bonding. And so what would be a practical way that you could acknowledge sex, you know, the elephant in the room when you're in a relationship? Because as you said, you know, a lot of people just aren't having these conversations. They don't really know how to go about it. So how do you just kind of put the idea out there that we need to start talking about sex without it being threatening or a source of insecurity and that can be playful and fun? Here's something that somebody listening to this episode can do literally right now. <laughs> so take a moment to think about some of your favorite sexual memories with your partner and then share one of those memories with them. So it could be face-to-face -face if you're feeling brave. If you're feeling really shy, you can do it over text message too. This is a great way to get the ball rolling. But the idea here is you're not approaching this with any sort of goal. You're not trying to make any complaints, make any requests. You're not trying to initiate sex with it. It's literally just sharing with them, hey, do you remember that anniversary trip that we took and that hotel we were at and that thing we did together? <laughs> so you're just sharing that memory and trying to make it feel like a fun experience. Another thing that you can do to make this more of a habit or to do on a more ongoing basis is after you've had sex, maybe a couple hours later or the next day, just casually say, hey, that was really fun what we just did. I can't stop thinking about that moment where, you know, you grabbed me here or you touched me there or whatever the case is. Just showing yourself that you can talk about this and you can refer back to positive experiences. Yeah, I love that idea. It's sort of about reminiscing about your sex life. It could be in the very recent past or it could be in the very distant past. But recalling those positive experiences is a great way to just kind of get that conversation started. Now, the second step, the second conversation you need to have is one that you call connection. And it's all about what you and your partner need to do in order to feel close to one another. Now, in the early stages of a relationship, 
connection is usually pretty easy, right? It comes naturally when you have those intense feelings of passion. You know, you can't stop thinking about the other person. You can't keep your hands off one another. But as the passion wears down, it stops being so easy. And then suddenly you have to figure out how to create connection. So can you share some tips on how you might navigate this conversation and figure out how to build connection when you never previously had to do it before because it just came so easily? It was really important to us to lead with this idea of emotional connection because I think a lot of people hear the word sex and we immediately just picture the physical acts that we're doing with our bodies. But the reality is that emotional intimacy and physical intimacy are so entwined with each other. And so for couples, understanding how to feel more connected to each other on a day-to-day basis, especially when you are in a long-term relationship and it feels like you're disconnected, maybe you feel more like roommates rather than romantic partners. We wanted to come up with these practical ways for couples to feel connected to each other. Now, in terms of the the idea of it being so easy at the beginning of a relationship, I think about it in a slightly different way. Like, it did feel more exciting getting to know somebody. And we, of course, have those undeniable neurotransmitters, chemical reactions actually happening in our body that we cannot sustain for longer than, you know, six to 12 months or so. But I think there was still a tremendous amount of effort that we were putting in in the early stages of a relationship. You know, we were still scheduling dates with each other. We were still trying to be the best versions of ourselves for each other. I mean, I think back to some of our first dates together. I would spend hours, you know, getting ready for those dates and anticipating them and getting myself excited about it. So it's not necessarily that it was zero effort then and so much more effort now. It's that our attitude about the effort has changed. So that's a big piece of this conversation as well is recognizing we can change our attitudes about putting that energy into connecting with each other. And I think another part of it that we try to walk people through in this section is understanding what types of connection or what types of connecting activities really are most meaningful to each partner. Because I think the reality is, is we all like different things that make us feel connected. And when we don't talk about it, you know, if Vanessa and I have never talked about it, I'm going to try to initiate sort of connection stuff with her in the way that I would like to receive it. But the reality is when you talk about it, you'll come to most likely find that your partner likes different things than you do. And so very often we end up missing each other because we're trying to do the stuff that we would like to do, or we spend a lot of time doing these, you know, big gestures when in reality, there might be a couple really small things that your partner really loves that you could do that would take barely any time at all. So at the end of this chapter, like our hope for most couples is that they have a short list of two or three things that they can do that are super easy, that might not be the things that they immediately think of, but figuring out what are those things that are going to move them the needle most for my partner. So I know, for example, that Vanessa loves compliments and there's a very specific compliment that <laughs> she just loved. To me, it feels like a cheat code. I, you know, I used to kind of disregard this because I was like, it just seems like, how could this really make that much of a difference? But if I tell it Vanessa, <laughs> if I tell Vanessa, you're killing it at insert the blank, like I can say literally anything, she gets this big smile, she gets so happy. And I'm so glad that we've had that conversation so that I know that now. And so that's, that's the idea of this chapter. Yeah, I love this idea of kind of having a a cheat code (laughs) for your partner, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Something that you know, is usually going to work. Now, of course, as with anything in relationships, 
we're all different people across different situations, different times of day. So, you know, what works in one situation for creating connection won't necessarily work in every situation, but at least you got a general template for how to approach things. I also appreciate what you said, Vanessa, about how, you know, early on in the relationship, we might be thinking about sex differently. And yeah, we do tend to put a lot more effort into how we prepare and get ready for a date. And these days, especially after living through COVID times for a couple of years, you know, God, putting on anything other than sweatpants feels like a lot of work. Oh, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it does. <laughs> so, you know, it's it does become different over time in terms of how you're perceiving the effort that goes into things. And, you know, when part of that novelty of the sexual experience has gone down to some degree, putting in the effort might not be perceived as quite as desirable. You might also be more stressed. All kinds of things can be happening there. Now, the third conversation that you suggest people have is called desire. And it's all about figuring out what it is that turns you on and what turns your partner on. And this is a key step because sometimes we don't know what we want from sex until we try it. And sometimes we have the wrong ideas about what our partner likes or wants. So can you share some tips with us on how someone can identify their own desires and how you can let your partner know what it is that actually turns you on? Here's a really practical way to get started with it. So similar to the reminiscing conversation that I brought up with the first conversation, you can also take some time to think about, are there any memories that I have of a time my partner initiated sex and I really liked it? It felt sexy. It made me feel desired, excited, whatever it was. So a lot of times we just don't take this chance to like look back through our sexual history and, and try to look for these clues because you're right, that idea of what do I want? What do I need? Sometimes it feels like such a big question that's so hard to answer. But we have a lot of data that we can look back on. So if you have some memories that come to mind, that's a really simple thing that you could share with your partner. And for your partner, it's going to be great for them to know specific ways that they can initiate. It'll increase their confidence because they'll know, okay, my partner will probably like it if I initiate in this way. And it just gives them ideas too. So they're not left kind of wondering, you know, I, I want sex, but I don't know how to go about it. Because one of the biggest complaints that couples tell us about is initiation has gotten so boring in our <laughs> relationship. Yeah. And we're going to come back to that initiation piece. But as you were speaking, I was starting to wonder about, you know, if you had a couple engage in this exercise where they're reminiscing, they're thinking about the times when sex came easy or natural to them and felt the best and they were getting what they really wanted. How often is it the case that if you ask couples to do this, each partner is going to come up with a totally different mm -hmm. sexual scenario <laughs> or different sexual memory? Yeah, similar to what Xander was saying about how we all like, you know, we all like to feel connected in different ways. We all like sex to feel different ways too. So when it comes to initiation, we might be wanting something that our partner wouldn't think that we would want. So that's the power of having these conversations. Is I think especially when it comes to initiation, a lot of us get very worked up in our heads and we think, okay, I have to do this big, grand, elaborate, you know, thing, surprise him at the door wearing nothing but saran wrap and a trench coat kind of thing. <laughs> but if we have these conversations and recognize like, 
oh no, actually I like it better when we just start off cuddling on the couch and cuddling turns into making out and making out turns into a little bit of heavy petting. You know, it just gives us the opportunity to clear up those misunderstandings. But, you know, yeah, we are going to have different ways that we like sex to be initiated. And so that's a, a little dance that we get to do of like, maybe sometimes we initiate in your way. Sometimes we initiate in my way. Sometimes we're in the mood for something totally different. <laughs> Another thing that we like to suggest, if you are trying to think about, okay, what is it that I like and I, and you're struggling to identify specific things is we like to say, okay, instead of thinking about specific acts or specific activities that are going to really turn you on, try to think about energy. Like what type of energy do you like to feel when you get turned on or when it comes to sex? Like, do I prefer it to feel more playful? Do I want it to feel more passionate? Mm -hmm. Do I want it to feel dirty or, you know, so we like to try to guide people through, you know, what are the different types of energy that you can feel? And that's often an easier thing to identify. Okay. Yeah. I, I like that. And then you can start thinking about, okay, if this is the energy that I like, what are some acts that are probably going to tap into that energy? Yeah. I love that. And I give similar recommendations when I talk to people about sharing sexual fantasies, you know, maybe instead of focusing on what is the specific fantasy and how does this play out in your head, you can talk about how is it that you actually want to feel during sex. And so instead of trying to make your sex fit this template that you have in your head of, you know, exactly how it's supposed to unfold, maybe it's a broader conversation about what are the different physical sensations, the emotions, all the stuff that I want to feel, what is it my partner wants to feel. And then I like to suggest that people use that to build their own custom fantasy that's going to meet everyone's needs. So I think it's a, a great way of kind of like taking some of the pressure off, you know, from sharing, say, a very specific fantasy and kind of getting something that's going to tap into everybody's needs. Exactly. And if you're listening and thinking, I don't even know what are the energy options, <laughs> like we have a list in our book. We like to do, we have a lot of lists in the book because we think it's always easier to choose an item from a menu than to have to come up with something entirely on your own. So there's a whole energy list. <laughs> <laughs> the sexual energy menu. I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, the fourth conversation is called pleasure, and it's all about what each person needs to feel in order to feel good. And this is different from the desire conversation because the pleasure piece is more about, at least my understanding of it, is communicating in the moment about what does and doesn't feel good. It's the feedback that you're giving to your partner. And this is something that a lot of people really struggle with and for different reasons. You know, for example, some people are really quiet in bed because they feel super self-conscious about how they sound during sex. By contrast, other people stay quiet because they don't feel empowered to speak up, or maybe they're worried that saying something is going to hurt their partner's feelings. So can you give us some examples of ways that you can communicate pleasure and maybe how you can get a little more comfortable doing this if you're not used to that kind of pleasure communication? A lot of us think about feedback in the bedroom and we get so anxious about it that we imagine these sort of nightmarish scenarios in our heads. Like the only way for me to give feedback is to tell Xander, like, you suck at oral sex and you need to get better. <laughs> like, I hate our sex life. But obviously that's not the only way to give feedback. It's not the preferable way to give feedback. Wait, you're not supposed to give a report card? 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you have a little report card kink, go for it. But I think most people, <laughs> myself included, would get very stressed out knowing what grade I'm getting. But yeah, I mean, we just get so nervous about it that that's sometimes the only way we can picture it in our heads. But we use a framework that I created called Positively Pleasurable Feedback. You know, research has shown that we respond so much better to positive feedback than to negative feedback. And I think there's always a way for us to turn whatever desire or need that we have in the bedroom to frame it in some sort of positive way. So, and especially when you're first flexing those muscles of trying to be more communicative in the bedroom, we don't want you jumping to like, now I've got to talk to my partner about something they've never done that I really want. Like, let's start with the simple stuff. So even if you're feeling very nervous about it, just start off giving your partner compliments. What are the things that they're doing well that you're enjoying? And like you were saying, like a lot of us have never practiced being more communicative in the bedroom. So if we start really small like this, even if it's something as simple as that feels good. Don't stop. That helps us work up to being able to give more feedback. But then, you know, when there are specific requests that you might want to make, there's always a way that you can kind of turn it around into something that your partner's doing well and you want more of. That way it makes it feel to your partner like you're already winning. You're already doing a good job. And let me, like Xander was saying earlier, let me give you the cheat code <laughs> to doing an even better <laughs> job. Well, I love that. Yes. So you know, there are all kinds of ways that you can communicate about this. It can be through moans and groans. You know, we can use a lot of nonverbal body language for this, but it could also be through specifically requesting things that feel good for you or just offering some other type of positive reinforcement. Because, you know, as a social psychologist, one of the best ways to shape behavior in or out of the bedroom is to provide positive reinforcement. You know, we tend to go back to what is rewarded. So that's a just a very handy way of thinking about this kind of pleasure-based communication. And you can kind of adjust it to whatever your comfort level is, but I think you're absolutely right that starting with baby steps, you know, is often a good way to go. Yeah. And even just communicating about how you want to communicate in the bedroom. So we share a story in the book about, for me, the way that my pleasure works is when I'm getting close to orgasm, I tend to get quiet. Like I go very internal. I'm really focused on the sensations. And early in our relationship, we had a very big issue with this because Xander would hear me go from moaning and seeming to enjoy myself to now all of a sudden I'm being silent. I'm like, oh my God, what, what have I done wrong? What happened? Have I, have I ruined the moment? What are we going to do? <laughs> and so once we were able to talk about, I think he finally said, like, is everything okay? Like, should I change something up? And once I realized, like, oh, no, 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 me being quiet is a good thing, it helped us realize, like, that's what's going on in those moments. So I tried to be more communicative in those crucial moments, but it actually draws me out of the experience to do that. So me simply being able to say, hey, here's what's happening. We also kind of brainstorm, and I said, maybe I'll, I'll squeeze your arm just to kind of let you know it's a good thing. And I'll make a promise to you that if I'm not enjoying it, I'll let you know. You know, I'll, I'll tell you that I want something different. So just having like that kind of conversation, I didn't have to change who I am or what I need in the bedroom, but we're able to understand each other better. Yeah, I think that's such a great example. Now, the fifth and final conversation you recommend people have is what you call exploration. It's the what should we try next talk. 
And we know it's important for people in relationships. There's a ton of science and research out there on this, and I'm sure you've seen it over and over in your practice as a sex therapist, is that we need to keep mixing things up, trying new things, because we tend to grow bored with sexual routines and we lose interest in them. But the idea of trying something new can be intimidating. You know, for example, if you share a turn-on with your partner and they're not into it, those conversations sometimes go south very quickly. Now, in your book, you say the wrong question to ask when it comes to this conversation is, what's your fantasy? So what do you think is the right question? You know, why shouldn't you just come out and say, what's your fantasy? How do you get that conversation started in perhaps a better way for engaging in sexual exploration? We've found that the majority of people get pretty stressed out by the what's your fantasy question because a lot of us turn fantasy into something that has to be very elaborate. Like I have to set up a whole scene, there's a storyline, costumes, props involved, and a lot of us feel like we don't have that. If you have that detailed of a fantasy, that's awesome. Do it. Role play the whole thing. <laughs> and and the other thing on top of that to make the bar even higher is that we often also think that we need to guarantee that that fantasy mm -hmm. is going to be wildly successful. Now, the problem when something is a fantasy, often if we've never tried it before, how can we actually guarantee that? And so <laughs> we just get in our heads very often and go, oh, okay, well, uh, I'm not 100% sure on this one, so I guess I'll just hold off for now. So instead, we like the question, what's something you're curious about trying? I mean, I love the word curious as a therapist, <laughs> but I think it, it really lowers the bar for that. So I'm not guaranteeing that I'm going to like it. It's just something that I have a curiosity about. And especially if I'm feeling nervous sharing something with my partner, if I say curious, it doesn't feel like it's as, you know, that strong. So it gives me the opportunity to say, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was something I was curious about. It's not a deal breaker for me or anything like that. So I think that word can be really nice. And if you're somebody who struggles yourself to identify your needs or desires, it lowers the bar for you internally too. Like, yeah, it just has to be something that there's a little tiny bit of curiosity to try. Yeah, I love that question about your curiosities because, you know, as a fantasy researcher, you know, I love to talk about fantasies, but I find that people sometimes misunderstand that term fantasy, as you said, thinking that there has to be some fantastical element to it. You know, I actually find with some people who say they don't have fantasies, it doesn't mean they don't have turn-ons. They're just not counting them as fantasies because they don't consider them to be fantastical enough, right? Exactly. That's why I loved your book too, because so many of the the top fantasies were things that were very, most people I think would say are very simple things. So it, it helped redefine that word for people. Yeah, it doesn't have to take place in Hogwarts with dress up and like I, <laughs> I mentioned Hogwarts because there were a ton of Harry Potter fantasies. Every time I ask people about fantasies, that theme seems to come <laughs> up. Uh, so it doesn't have to take place in in Hogwarts in order to be a fantasy. Exactly. So suppose you have one of these five conversations and you're talking about this with your partner and things just go completely off the rails. You know, you thought you were starting a productive and healthy conversation that's going to help get your sex life back on track, but now it's creating conflict. Do you have any tips you can share for if things go wrong with one of these talks, how can you get them back on track? 
Fortunately, I have helped coach people through these conversations for a long time. So in every chapter, we have a little section called navigating potential conflicts, uh, pitfalls. And so I try to give tips for, you know, before you even start the conversation, here are some ways to work with this if this is something that comes up. And we also have a whole chapter in the book as well of, okay, if things really go off the rails, if it turns into a fight, what do you do? So one of the tips that we share is looping back around to the conversation afterwards and trying to restate what your intentions were. So sometimes, despite our best efforts, those conversations are going to get hurtful. Maybe it does turn into a fight. But if you can come back around to your partner, apologize for any hurt that was caused, and remind them, like, I love you. I love our relationship. I love having sex with you. And I know that this can be challenging sometimes, but to me, it's really worth it to be able to talk about this incredibly important aspect of our relationship. So sometimes like reminding each other of that, reminding each other that you're on the same team can help deflate any tension that may have come up. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And it has me thinking about in my own relationship, we often talk about when things go off the rails, the what my partner calls ladders of inference, like where we got far away from everybody's intentions. I went down one ladder, my partner goes down another ladder, and it's like we're talking about different things all of a sudden. So it's like that's a, a handy term we use to bring things back. It's like, you know, when it turns into a fight, I'm just like ladders of inference, ladders of inference. Let's, you know, go back to the same starting point. <laughs> Our phrase is check your stories. <laughs> like this is the same kind of thing. It's like we realize that it's very easy for us to take something our partner said or did and put a different meaning on top of it. And so that's been really helpful for Xander and I to say, okay, the story that I made in my head about what you said or what you did was this. And that gives me the opportunity to distance myself from it a little bit to say like, I'm, I'm taking responsibility and saying, this is a story. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's what you actually meant. It gives him the chance to clarify and say, oh, you know, that's interesting that that was the story you made. That's very different from what my <laughs> original intentions were. I think just having some sort of phrase like that can be such a nice way to catch yourselves in the moment. Check your stories. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit more about where people can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your new book? Yeah, we would love to connect with anyone in your audience. You can find all the information at the about the book at sextalksbook.com. We have all the links to the major retailers, and we also have some free gifts that we are giving away if you fill out the quick little form on that page. So that has everything about, yeah, what the book is all about, what you can expect from it. And then we are most active over on Instagram. You want to give yeah. our Instagram spiel? Yeah, you can find <laughs> us at Vanessa and Xander. That's Xander with an X. Um, yeah, we show up in stories every day. We do a lot of funny stuff. We answer people's questions. We have a lot of fun over there. Um, and we also have a podcast called Pillow Talks, which you can find um, wherever you get your podcast. So the couple that does social media together stays together? Is that how it works? Strangely, we are finding <laughs> that to be true. Never in a million years would have thought that we would be so active on social, but it's been a lot of fun for us. And we have noticed a really big change in our sexual relationship the more that we talk about sex. So oh, yeah. it was another inspiration for writing the book. <laughs> like we're on to something here. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me today. And thank you for all of your amazing contributions. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and 
and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. 